Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do. We talk about the stuff we saw since we did the last one of these, uh, so we can get the opening out. Um, should we just start over? No. Uh, I'm David. I'm Tyler. Let's not start over. Let's get right. moving instead. Yes. Let's talk about what we watched. I watched a terrific, uh, a, a new Blu-ray of an old movie, okay. uh, an old noir called Too Late for Tears. Oh, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, available at movie right now. Uh, yeah, because be, I think because it was someone just recently, some service uh, somewhere, <laughs> right? Um, that was someone recently sort of uh, re uh, restored or, or or what have you. Um, and so there's a yeah a uh, a Blu-ray that I watched, and it's a really really good uh, noir movie with um, uh, Elizabeth Scott, who's one of my favorite. Uh, un- I'm gonna say underrated noir. Femmes Fatale, mostly mm-hmm. because I love the movie Pitfall. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and then it, here she uh, she plays, she and another fellow, I forget the actor's name, play a husband and wife who accidentally come across a bag of money. Um, Is it Dan Duria? Well, we're going to get to him. Oh, he's, okay. So We're going to get to him. All right, he's not the husband. Uh, no, uh, some, some other poor sap. Uh, they find this bag of money. He wants to turn it in. She wants to keep it. Uh, and then, unbeknownst to the husband, Dan Durier, or however you mm-hmm. say his name, uh, shows up. He, he's the the criminal to whom the money belongs. So Dan. he shows up um, and starts pressuring her to uh, get the money. And essentially, she goes into a very uh, shaky, untrustworthy alliance with this criminal to say, to like, you know, help me keep the money away from my husband and we can split it or whatever. Mm. Uh, it's terrific. Uh, that sounds great because she, um, I don't want to give much away, but she is, the, she's both the protagonist and the femme fatale, which is not, not common. I think yeah. in, in noir movies, if you have, when you have your, your template, you know, the femme fatale is the one who lures the, um, uh, the, the protagonist toward his doom usually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but she's both here. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and it becomes more so the more we learn about, uh, who Dan Durier, uh, is. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to go into too much detail. It's also a fantastic, uh, Los Angeles movie. You get to see, uh, old Hollywood Boulevard. Mm-hmm. The, um, I'm not sure how much they shot at MacArthur park, but MacArthur park is a big plot point. I think a lot of it is a stage, yeah. you know, but, um, I think they did do some, uh, establishing shots on MacArthur Park back in the 1940s, which is fantastic. Fun fact. Yeah. The song MacArthur Park. Uh-huh. Do you know who sang it? Um, no. Richard Harris. Oh, okay. Isn't that weird? Uh, I didn't know that. I don't think of him as a singer, but that was a very popular song sung by Richard Harris. I don't know. It's uh, very strange to me. I'm sorry. You said I, MacArthur I, Park. I don't have anything else to say about it. I, it's just, it's, uh, it's one of my favorite facts. And you said MacArthur Park. <laughs> if you had said Richard Harris, uh-huh. I would have, I would have said, <laughs> I said it as the well. same trivia. Yeah. There's two ways into that one. <laughs> yeah. Front and back door. Um, so yeah, like I said, I don't want to go in, into too much, uh, detail cause it has a, a, a pretty great plot and some more characters that I haven't even, uh, mentioned, um, who also, come from different you know uh they're but it's the type of noir movie like a lot of where, where you don't really know who someone is when they show up and you find out things about them as the movie goes on uh and there's multiple characters that sort of fit that bill mm-hmm. here um but elizabeth scott is is terrific and i think if this movie is um sort of shooting 
back onto the cinephile, you know, uh, mass consciousness. Um, I'm hoping it will do more to make people think of Elizabeth Scott when they think of great noir actresses. Yeah, I think I'm I'm going to have to try and uh, prioritize it because it's going to be going away soon, so I should try to watch it in the next few days. Yeah, you dig it the most. All right. Uh, So I watched, uh, what's his name, Tony Richardson? Is that Yeah, Tony Richardson's film Tom Jones, winner of Best Picture 1963. Sure. Uh, the, I've never seen it, but sure. The minisode about it uh, over at More Than One Lesson is available now, so I won't go into a lot of detail about it either. Um, it's a very strange film. It, it is. It was the context I was watching it in was that it was one of Josh's least favorite best pictures, like one of the five worst best pictures. So I was really uh, expecting it to be just bad and lazy or whatever. Just what I knew what I knew about it was, this, it was sort of this sort of this kind of body comedy. Um, mm-hmm. and B A W. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Not like the comedy version of body horror. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just like Jeff Goldman's like, I've got this clown nose now. And <laughs> so, um, anyway, uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a movie I want to see. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Yes. Very body. I should have said body like mm-hmm. that, but I'm not from Chicago. Um, though I did live there. So it is, it's based on this novel. It's, uh, that's at this point, 250 years old. And it's about this, this, uh, a foundling, uh, a, a young child that was mm-hmm. abandoned. And so this, uh, aristocrat takes him in and the kid grows up to be, a. Uh, a good looking guy who's uh, just sort of a man about town and all the ladies love him and that kind of thing. And he's played by, uh, uh, like I think a 27 year old Albert Finney. Um, and so, you know, it's all powdered wigs and corsets and such. Uh, but, and I guess just going in, even though I knew that it was considered a comedy, I guess I just thought, okay, well the powdered wigs are going to cancel that out and it's going to wind <laughs> up being just kind of who cares. It is, it's not a great movie. I would say it's not even that good of a movie, but it is interesting because I think one of the reasons that the Oscars embraced it as a best picture and director and screenplay is that it could have been so stodgy and so stifled and just all of the things that you would associate with a period piece, even a comedic one. But Tony Richardson really utilizes the camera mm-hmm. and really, really utilizes filmmaking techniques to play up the comedy. Um, the opening, the introduction, when you find out about uh, Tom Jones as uh, as an infant, um, it's it's shot and I mean it's and the music that plays over it, it's a silent film essentially. You have characters coming out and speaking, but you don't hear them; you just hear music, and then it has a a, a card saying what they and it's just very strange. So. The first four minutes of the film is this weird silent comedy, and then it moves into uh, a narrator who's very wry and very clever and will uh, reference the fact that it's a movie um, because you'll show Tom and some other, his latest uh, conquest, and they're about to go off into the barn and do something, and the, uh, have sex is what they're going to (laughs) do, and um and the narrator says, he says, now 
thankfully, the censors will not allow us allow us to show what they did. But I'm sure you can imagine, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Tom will often glance at the camera, sometimes talk to the camera. At one point, uh, uh, he's about to have sex with another woman, um, and so he notices the camera's there, and he takes his hat off and covers the lens with it. Um, it's That's cute. It is, yeah. Uh, well, for night in for nineteen sixty three, yeah, yeah. you didn't no, see like a lot it. of that, um, and so it's. Uh, I think I think it's it's the director's embracing of, I don't know, a very loose style that sometimes doesn't work, sometimes it does. Uh, all in all, it, it it wound up being a an again a movie that I find more interesting than good. But I was I was happy I saw it, and I will say that if you're interested in seeing it, uh, go screw yourself because it is not available anywhere. It, you could probably I had to watch it in a way that I was not super proud of, which is just online illegally. Um, and okay. I don't like saying that, but at the same time, uh, Hey, I want to watch your movie, make it, make it so that I can watch your movie. I couldn't even buy it, uh, buy like a digital copy. You can't stream it anywhere. You have to purchase a DVD copy on Amazon. And I was not willing to go that far. So hmm. yeah. Well, I don't know what to tell you. I know. <laughs> go with the program, Tom Jones. My, uh, I did assume that I, it's possible that, some Blu-ray distribution company is like working on releasing it because at this point, pretty much all the best pictures have been released on Blu-ray. This is not a very high profile one, but I could see Kino or even Criterion or, or some other company like that working on a release, which is why it hasn't gotten anything more than an old DVD release. Yeah. Um, and why it's not readily available anywhere. So well, that's my theory. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't, uh, I don't know if it's something that Criterion once, but um, I could see it being something. I know, they would but I know what library it belongs to, and I know that uh, a lot of that stuff has been put up by Criterion. Ah, okay. So yeah, um, they have a good relationship. Yeah, I guess I could have just uh, talked to somebody, um, some, a, a, a good friend, a best friend. Yeah, <laughs> maybe might have access to uh, <laughs> a, a copy, a check disc, or something like that. Damn it. <laughs> Anyway, uh, that would have saved me a lot of trouble. <laughs> moving on, because the cops are on to me. <laughs> uh, moving on, I had to and continuing uh, in the vein of movies I like that I think Tyler would like. Okay, uh, I saw a new movie that uh, comes out this this week um, called Our Kind of Traitor. I am interested, and this is the cast. millionth adaptation of a of any John Le Carre novel. Everything he has he written anything that hasn't been turned into a movie. Uh, I'm exaggerating because uh, like, he's been writing novels for some letters, half a century, right? Probably wrote some letters. And even then, uh, those were turned into uh, uh, the Bourne Ultimatum. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, John Le Carre, when did he first start publishing? Oh, uh, back in the 40s, I would say. 40s so even 50s. more than 50 years. Yeah. Um, but this, Our Kind of Trader isn't based on some old John Le Carre novel. It's a novel from 2010. Yeah. <laughs> it's astonishing to me. I thought I, I would have bet money. He was dead until the most wanted man came out. Right. And, which is a, uh, also based on a recent work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And then you had, uh, I'm not sure when, um, the night manager was written, but we've gotten two John Le Carre sort hmm. of high profile adaptations with our kind of trader in night, the night manager, uh, back to back. um, the Night Manager is a miniseries. Yes. Uh, directed by Suzanne Beers. Oh, okay. Our Kind of Trader, directed by Susanna White. 
Oh, man. Oh, and you know who's in Tom Jones? Susanna York. How about that? Whoa. Um, so our, our kind of trader, um, it does have a good cast. Um, Ewan McGregor is the biggest star playing a character named Perry, whom I have learned in the novel, we learn his full name, which is Peregrine Makepeace. Oh. And that's such a great name that I'm kind of, I want to knock the movie down a letter grade yeah. for not including Peregrine Makepeace as the full character's name. Yeah, what are you, ashamed? <laughs> yeah. Come on. Uh, but... Um, uh, Ewan McGregor and Naomi Harris play a married couple whom we meet at the beginning uh, on vacation in Marrakesh, a very tense and unhappy vacation as we come to realize this is a let's try and save our marriage wow. vacation. Uh, it's not going well. And um, they, at one point they sort of split up for the evening and Ewan McGregor um, finds himself in the company of a very uh, gregarious and drunk a uh, Russian man named Dima, played by Stellan Skarsgård. Nice. Um, who uh, or then over the course of their of the their time in Marrakesh, Perry and Dima become closer friends. They play tennis, and he invites them to a party. And eventually, we find out this was all orchestrated on Dima's part to get close to a British citizen. Because uh, turns out Dima is a money launderer for the Russian mafia. He, the ma- the mafia is. Um, making some changes and he is fairly certain that he and his family are about to be murdered Ah. uh, by them. So he has decided that he will give up information not only in the Russian mafia, but also on corrupt British MPs who are dealing with the Russian mafia to MI6 in return for asylum for him and his family. And he wants Perry, this uh, innocent uh, citizen who uh, had the misfortune of just being British and nearby uh, to, to carry this out. And so suddenly, um, Ewan McGregor and Naomi Harris find themselves uh, in uh, international espionage, essentially. Um, they contact, they, they get back to London, contact MI6. Their uh, MI6 agent is played by Damian Lewis. He's fantastic. Right. Um, his boss is played by Mark Gaddis. You I know who him? that is. He's Wait. an actor, but also a writer. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, one of the guys, he plays... Uh uh, Mycroft. Yes, on yeah. the on the PBS. I mean, PBS here, BBC uh, Sherlock. Yeah. He's he's Mycroft. Um, and then there's a um, former MI6 uh, higher up, now a politician who um, very much doesn't want this information to come out. Played by Jeremy Northam. Yeah, he only right. has a couple scenes, but he's great. He's always great. Uh, and it is uh, it's. It's not going to hit the heights of your big John le Carre adaptations. It's not a Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy yeah. or anything, but um, it has all the hallmarks. Uh, Susanna White and uh, cinematographer Anthony Dodd Mantle, who's one of my favorites. Um, I've yeah. heard that name recently. Uh, has he done something recently? Uh, well, very recently he did In the Heart of the Sea last okay, year. Okay, that's it. Yes, because um, that's what I had for my cinematography pick. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, for in, the, in, in the thing. Um but he's mostly, I think, uh, made his name first um, working. He shot The Celebration, which was like the big Dog oh, yeah. 95 film, and then became um, uh, Danny Boyle's go-to guy for a mm, while. He shot okay. um, uh, 28 Days Later and Millions and Some Dog Millionaire and okay. um, some other uh, Danny Boyle. There's a big one that's uh, escaping me right now. Um, anyway, sunshine? Did he do Sunshine? Uh, he might have done Sunshine. I can't remember now. Uh, anyway... They they do they make the, the movie looks great. It has all the tension of a classic spy movie. It's a movie that has it has some action in it, but it's not an action movie. Unlike you know, like 
James Bond and Jason Bourne have turned yeah. spy movies into action movies, and I don't mind that in some cases, but I like that this is a spy movie that's mostly about tension than you know more about tension than action it's what i it's what i like about john like i john lacari i like um the spy who came in from the cold i think that's marvelous i loved uh, a most wanted man um tinker taylor soldier spy took a while to grow on me which was more a function of the filmmaking than the story being told uh and then upon a rewatch i was like oh this is much better uh than i thought it was and uh yeah, it's just it's it pushes all of those buttons where it takes something that movies ha- have exaggerated to be just pure action all the time, and yeah. it's just mostly it's older, sad people uh, yeah. making decisions that they're not thrilled with. Yeah, that's what this is really. I mean, if, if we want to get into the, uh, we got to move on. We want to get into like the themes or whatever of our kind of trader. It is about like a lot of John Le Carre stuff. It's about uh, moral murk, you yeah. know. Like, I mean. Um, Dima and the way that this the the, the Dima is the Stone Scarfer character. To, in case you've forgotten, from when I said that ten minutes ago, um, like the way he's made his money is not moral. He's not like a good guy. Yeah. But also, his family's going to be killed, and so we kind he kind of becomes a sympathetic yeah uh, character, you know. And then there's sort of uh, uh, you know we want you know McGregor to be our white knight here, you know. But also we realize we, when we find out like why his marriage is on the rocks. It's like, Oh, this guy's not a great guy either. Yeah. You know, and Damien Lewis's character wants, turns to, out that his wife is upset that he's been selling secrets to the Russian mob. <laughs> oh right, boy. Yeah. That's an uh, awkward scene. But like Damien, Damien Lewis's character wants to help, you know, it upshot is he gets to save someone's family, but yeah. he mostly wants to stick it to Jeremy Northam, you know? So yeah. he's got his own reasons for doing stuff. Uh, it's a, it's a really cool little movie. It's not going to end up on anyone's, top 10 list at the end of the year. It's not that know. kind of movie, but it's a cool little movie. This film has become a high priority for me. <laughs> All <Sunday>, right, David. <laughs> uh, I saw a, a recent film called the shallows. Oh, it you is, saw it. It is a shark movie. Of course I saw it. Um, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, is it everything that I hope it will be? It was, I think I, uh, what do you hope it will be? Well, I think when we did our summer movie preview, I said of the like, you know, big ticket, like studio summer releases. Yeah. This is the one I was looking forward to. And it's arguable how big ticket it is. I mean, it had a fairly low budget um, and it's done. It's that's like it, everyone says it's done better than expected at number, I think three or four. Uh, yeah. You know. yeah. I guess, I mean, it's, it's being released, released by it's Warner brothers. Right? Yeah. And it's, it's a, a, it's a, a wide major release. studio. Yeah. It, yeah. Wide release. Yeah. That, that's what I mean. Um, so, it is it is in many ways a good movie. The script is a mess. The script is <laughs> it, the script really thinks I'm dumb. Uh and it thinks That's you're you're also dumb, David. Um, because when I hear what excites me about that premise would require a smart script to Yeah. What uh, it does yeah. have is a really good lead performance and a director who knows what he's doing. Um I haven't seen any of his other films. I heard Nonstop was great. Uh, Wait, didn't or at least see a lot one of fun. His films? I don't think I, I don't think I did. I was I meant to see nonstop. Maybe there's another one of his that uh, that that All I right, forgot. You keep talking. Okay. I could have sworn it's, po- film it, it's that possible that I forgot. Um, but yeah, and uh, so the suspense is there, and and you need a good strong lead performance, and I think Blake Lively actually does a very good job with it, and so. 
What did he do? Didn't you like Run All Night? Oh, that's right. Yes, I did like that quite okay, a bit. Yeah, he did that. Um, yeah, uh, he he does bring a great deal of energy into... He also did the 2005 House of Wax remake, which I watched yeah. on HBO. I used to have a... Um, I, uh, I don't have HBO anymore. I have someone else's HBO Go password. <laughs> um, but uh, I used to have a tradition, if I was homesick from work... I would like I would say, all right, I'm laying on the couch and I'm going to watch what's on HBO. Doesn't matter what it is. That's what I'm watching. So that's how I saw House of Wax. It's how I saw Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins. It's how I saw Firehouse Dog. Oh, <laughs> so, oh boy. Because like during the day, especially you see like kid stuff earlier in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's there's more than than those. But uh, yeah, that's uh, so that's how I saw the House of Wax remake. But let's, uh, sorry, let's go back to The Shallows. Yeah, so it's, uh, I don't know, it's it's a hard film to describe. I mean, I was absolutely, yeah, I'll say this, the bad and cliche script does not keep me from being invested in the main character and very, and on edge a good portion of the film. They do a very good job. I'll say this, and this is a function of the script. Maybe it's the dialogue that's that's the issue, but um the the structure is very interesting and very they do a very good job of laying out all the obstacles uh and they have nice little touches like the the way the shark announces itself or the way we start to know something is wrong because this is a gorgeous beach uh, everything is just looks absolutely beautiful, including Blake Lively. And then there's other surfers there. Just there are a lot of yeah. everything on screen I, is good. I, looking. I made the mistake cause I don't normally watch trailers, mm. but I've talked about this before. Then now the standard with trailers is to have a teaser trailer and right. then a full trailer. Right. The teaser trailer for the shallows is great. Yeah. Mission accomplished. The full trailer gives away way too much story. Yeah. You don't need it. You don't need it. I wish we could just have teaser trailers yeah yeah anyway nine times out of ten that's enough for me yeah um yeah the teaser trailer for the shallows is really cool it's great it sold me it the, the teaser trailer it was one of those things where i was watching youtube video and then they did the t the, the teaser trailer for the shallows but it even said skip this after so you know so many seconds it got me in that time <laughs> and i watched the whole thing uh but yeah they have they do. It's so interesting. They do a very good job visually of showing that everything is beautiful and, and idyllic. And then slowly, but surely they add things. They, um, uh, Blake lively surfs out far enough that she actually encounters something that you couldn't have seen immediately from where she was, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, just the rotting corpse of a dead whale that had, uh, that has gotten stuck on the uh, on the coral. Oh, that's and that the shark I mean, has killed. Awful. But I mean, that's kind of that's a cool idea. It is, and and so it's not merely that oh something is wrong. It's that something is ugly in this beautiful mm-hmm. place, um, and something is is rotten and gross. And that's when and from there on is when the shark uh, exists. And then also there is. Again, it's not merely Blake Lively, Blake Lively that is very attractive, but there are other surfers, mm-hmm. uh, male surfers who are in good shape. They're very tanned and toned and all that. Some and beefcake. so, beefcake. Everything, 
everything you're seeing is beautiful. But then once you see the whale and once the shark is introduced, that's when you start to see that, oh, this buoy is actually really rusted. Mm -hmm. And you actually see a guy walking along the beach who's this drunk guy. And he's, I had to put it this way, he's big and fat and slovenly. And so once you start to see what's, once you start to see what's underneath the idyllic, you start to see a lot more of it. It, visually there's a lot going on. Uh, I love that idea. Um, and, uh, and again, the suspense is really good. The special effects could be better in certain places, but, uh, that's not a deal breaker for me. It not really for me either. Like they, you know, I know that the shark head and jaws eating Quint is (laughs) very fake. It doesn't keep my heart from raising. So it is, uh, it's worth seeing. And I'd say it's worth seeing, uh, in the theater. Okay. Just be ready for some cliche script stuff. All right. Uh, I saw another movie that comes out this week that I was very excited to see, and it mostly didn't disappoint. Uh, it's called The Purge Election Year. Right. Because um, I, 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 if you go back to 2013, I guess, was when The First Purge came out. Yeah. And you read my review, I didn't like it. And I wonder if I watched it now that I've become, uh, you know, um, what's what's the word? Uh an apologist for it? No, what's the word when you get like uh, recruited into a cult? Uh, oh. Brainwashed? Um, no, nah. I, I can't think of what the word is that I'm trying to trying trying to think of. Um, God damn it, that's gonna bug me. <laughs> um, now that I've become a member of the cult, I wonder if I went back and watched the first one, if I would like it more, if I would see how it fit into the tone overall. Yeah, but um, I did a real turn after the the second one, which is still which is dumb. Mm-hmm. It's a they're all pretty dumb yeah uh movies or at least they're super broad i guess in a lot of ways but they're fun mm. uh, especially like the first one is not very fun the second one i should say is a lot of fun um i mean gruesome dark right. fun but a lot of fun and that's kind of what i was hoping for uh from the third one and the third one has a lot of that but it also i think and I'm still going to overall come down on the side of recommending the purge election year. Sure. But it does have a problem that I think, um, because it becomes, it goes even further. Like th- these movies have never been the least bit subtle about their allegories about, um, uh, y- you know, economic like disparity and, um, but that's, I mean, uh, racial disparity and the, the way that, uh, in in the movie, these the the purge is essentially used by the people who have power to mm-hmm. hold on to power. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I mean, the a big plot point in the second one is um, people, you know, rich people essentially hiring hit squads to go in and clean out tenement buildings on purge night yeah. so that they can like by you know destroy and build something and new i gotta there. say i think that's a great idea a lot of this again yeah, broad you don't think it's actually a great idea to go kill a building building full of people and build condos i'm just saying <laughs> if we lived in purge times right um and, i could get rid of some of my neighbors yeah and no, david think, you uh, could make a pretty penny uh I, I think it is no it is a good idea i'm not holding it against i don't mind allegories that are um blatant i don't yeah. need things to be super under the surface if that's the story you're telling and so that's not my problem my problem is this third one going so far into because the plot line is that there's a presidential candidate played by Elizabeth Mitchell, whom I love, mm-hmm. um, who's doing quite well and who is promising to 
um, take executive action to eliminate the purge if elected. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, this movie more than the other two is really turning on the turning against the, um, the, the bloodlust and the sadism and the, um, desensitization, desensitization, um, of the people in the movie who participate in the purge. But the problem is that it's also asking us to cheer for our heroes who are blowing people's heads off with sawed off shotguns and shit. Like it's, it's really tricky. And like, there's not a way to, uh, reconcile it with yourself. You have to just say, okay, <laughs> like you, you can't find a way to explain it away. You kind of just have to say, well, I'll appreciate the things I like about this movie and I uh, certainly appreciate that was a good action sequence or that was certainly gory and unexpected. Yeah. Uh, but I can't get fully behind the message as much as I'd like to because it's so hypocritical. Well, but that's, uh, this actually plays into a conversation I was having yesterday in my, in my class, mm-hmm. in my also college plays class. plays into uh, 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 an episode we did like a couple weeks ago. What's about, up? About guns. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I forget every episode the minute we're done. Uh, yeah, just this idea. And it's something we've talked about before uh, in regards to horror movies is that so many horror movies and, and some action movies and thrillers would seem to be sort of anti-violence. You know, characters saying like, I don't want this. And, and you saying, yes, I also don't want it, at least for them. I want it for other people. I want, you know, I didn't come to see, I didn't come to this horror movie to see nobody die. You know, and so it kind of plays into this thing where we that I think is, is, is okay. I don't think there's, I don't think the filmmakers are necessarily doing anything wrong. I don't think you're doing anything wrong for enjoying this. It's the natural, uh, I think it's the natural give and take of seeing something on screen that is very, in many ways, very difficult, but also kind of exhilarating. And at the same time, calling into question that exhilaration. Now, I don't think it's funny games or anything like that, mm-hmm. but uh, which to me is like kind of the the be all, end all be all of the, this type of thing, holding the the audience accountable. But um, this came about when we were talking about Rear Window um, in that Jimmy Stewart is watching this thing happen with his neighbor across the uh, courtyard and he thinks, oh, he's killing his wife. But for a number of reasons, uh, he also wants it to be true of course he's terrified but he also wants it to be true because he's looking to be kind of distracted uh from his life and, and that sort of thing so um i don't think it's necessarily now the purge election year could also be incredibly dumb which makes it harder to ignore this it's, it's dumb in the in some ways like i mean it's james demonico has things that he wants to say yeah and I think he's consistent in saying them, and I think he makes choices, especially with casting. Like, uh, I made this point in my review that no one in this movie, or in the last movie, really, is male or female or white or black or anything else by accident. Like, yeah. he is casting people to represent everyone is a symbol in, yeah. in some way. And that, if it were a movie that were trying to be subtle about that and then did that, that would be bad. But he's being very straightforward about it. And I, so I don't hold it against the movie that he's doing that. That's the movie he's making. It, it doesn't seem disingenuous and to me. You have mentioned how odd it is that this is big, that this is his baby. This is yeah, his, this is, I, I this put is this his on, expanded universe. I, I put this out on Twitter to see, is there another, um, 
franchise, like studio, genre, summer, all these movies have come out in the summer, franchise that is this purely auteuristic. You know, there's other there's other movies, you know, I think pe- people suggested like, well, Christopher Nolan made three Batman movies. That's And that's pretty close because he had the yeah. same writing team, you yeah. know. But it didn't uh, originate with him either. Uh, it's, yeah, A, it's based on uh, existing property, and B, he didn't, it's not one single writer and director. Same with the um, the Hobbit movies, which our friend Aaron uh, suggested as being uh, uh, an artist franchise. Um, yeah. And I could definitely see, they are, I mean, there's not... Uh, auteurism isn't a zero sum game, you right. know. Like certainly, yes, the Hobbit movies are the work of an auteur. Yeah. Um, but uh, is there another franchise that literally has one guy writing and directing everything? I don't know about writing, but I would say George Miller with the Mad Max series. Okay, um, that's a good one. Yeah, that's all I can think of though. But and I don't think he wrote all of them, right? Yeah. Or at least not by himself. Um, but that's I mean, the only the, one I can the, think this of. This guy and like the purge, they seem like I think people don't uh, don't necessarily take them seriously. But this guy James DeMonico, who's not a household name, has somehow yeah. gotten to a place where he's getting decent budgets to make R-rated movies that are uh, apparently exactly the movies he wants to be making. He is living a dream. David, if guy. I if I wanted to, let me ask you this: If I wanted to watch in my home. I wanted to watch the first Purge and then Purge Anarchy and then go out to the theater and see Purge Election Year. I wanted to do, do this all in one day. Do you think that would be a fun, interesting experience? Just I mean, brace yourself. There's a lot of violence in yeah. this movie. I mean, uh, I mean, if we were younger and less, you know, I think you and I are more sensitive as we talked yeah. about to, to these things. I think that would be a little bit numbing to watch all of these movies sure. in, in a day because there's some... Um, it's not just level of violence it's the i think you have to remember that these are um they're action movies but they're also horror movies the first yeah. one the most so but they are also horror movies so it's not just that the violence is brutal and gruesome yeah. it's also he's using it in horrific ways he's got yeah. people that you don't want to see turn against each other turn against each other yeah. and you're seeing awful things happen to people you don't want awful things to happen to in a horror movie type of way so watching all three even though they're all pre- you know they're all pretty short 90 to 105 yeah. minutes i think um uh, watching all three in a day would probably to me um wear me out a little bit because i it does intrigue me the idea of just getting getting bigger and bigger and just showing us more of the world of, uh, of the purge, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's another thing is that, that he did a little bit with, he did a lot with the second one. Cause the second one has just a sort of, uh, we got to get to safety, get across the city mm-hmm. type of plot. And so you get this survey of, he gets to come up with all these, um, uh, little things that you would imagine would spring up around this kind of, this kind of premise, you know, you get to see these little cultures of how people purge. And there's a little bit less of that in the third one, but he does come up with a really cool idea. Um, um, that, that, that it wasn't in the first two, which is the idea of what they call, uh, murder tourists, which are foreigners who travel to America specifically to be here for purge night and kill people. Mm. Uh, so you get, um, uh, yeah, at one point, uh, Frank Grillo, who's returning from the second movie. Um, there's no one from the first movie in the second movie, and yeah. only Frank Grillo goes from the second movie to the third movie. But Frank Grillo and Elizabeth Mitchell are set upon by a, a group of... Uh, I don't think we know for sure what if they're um, like 
supposed to be South African or something, but a bunch of uh, um, people with thick accents who were dressed as like psychotic uncle Sam's and stuff. That's the, you've seen the, yeah, the, yeah. the posters and stuff. That's who they are. They're, they, they come and wear garish red, white, and blue costumes and kill people. Uh, and that's like, that's, uh, you know, I mean, that's an interesting idea. I, I like yeah. that. He's come up with this, just this premise that is just dumb all the way down to its bones, yeah. but then has found really interesting ways to explore it. Yeah. He's not repeating himself. Uh, I say this having seen none of them, but right. just based like the first one did really well. He could have done, okay, the purge too, and have it be another family in a house. He could have kept it small, but he decided to go bigger with well, it. I think, and now well, he showing, probably got a bigger budget for the second sure. one too, which is probably a big, a big consideration. Sure. Was, because the first one made money. That was the sort of, uh, proof of concept uh and yeah. then he got the money to make yeah. what i think everyone who first heard the idea of the purge <laughs> wanted the purge to be uh the second one is still the best of the three well and i and i asked you um would it be interesting to watch the second one first and then the first one and then the third one where you're seeing the overall nature of the purge you're seeing a much larger thing and then you actually go into what it looks like for a very specific family. Uh, and then you yeah, go I think into you could probably, I mean, I think there are certain things, there's probably bits of information about the purge history that you learn in the first one that okay. it assumes, you know, in the second one, but you could, okay. it wouldn't ruin the movie for you to do it that way. David, I'm going to see these movies. Okay. It's been decided. All uh, right. I'm very excited. You got a lot of watch, a lot to watch now. I know. I may need to wait. <laughs> You've, literally everything I've talked about so far, you've said you plan to see. Not to mention, I got to watch all these damn Hitchcock movies, which are very interesting, but, uh, Boy, oh boy. Film school is, uh, is uh, proving to be time-consuming. Um, speaking of which, mm-hmm. my, my next film is a rewatch, and it is Alfred Hitchcock's The 39 Steps. Okay. Which I haven't seen in years. Neither um, have I. I've seen it, but not in years. And I, uh, I rewatched it uh, to discuss it in class, and it's pretty great. I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, it's hard for me to talk about it you know, uh, divorced from the hour long conversation we had about it in class. Um, but it's just in many ways, it's such a standard Hitchcock, uh, movie, uh, before there was really such a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, much was made of, of the fact that this movie would be sort of remade by Hitchcock as North by Northwest. Um, but that it still has a lot of, uh, a lot of hallmarks in that, it has a, a villain who's actually a very, uh, a very nice, upbeat guy. He happens to be missing a finger, um, but he's very. There's a, a moment that was t- to me particularly nightmarish, where he says to the hero, "He says, well, either I can kill you, or I can. You can do the gentlemanly thing and kill yourself." <laughs> and there's just something about giving someone the option to kill themselves <laughs> that seems really uh, horrifying to me. Um, and they, that is viewed as the gentlemanly thing to do. Uh, and uh, it's also remarkably funny. And uh, and I do love the uh, the idea of the, the bookends that ends where it starts and ends in the music hall with this character, Mr. Memory, and that he himself is uh, something of a MacGuffin, uh, but he's a human MacGuffin, which is fairly rare. Uh, but it's a really, uh, and I won't, I won't spoil anything, uh, for anybody, even though I kind of already did. Um, but it is definitely, it's definitely worth a watch if you're a Hitchcock fan. And if you're a fan of just thrillers or just, uh, you know, older, uh, older films, 
uh, seek out the 39 steps. It's a really marvelous film. All right. Um, <clears throat> speaking of marvelous, do you ever watch a movie? When we do these um, movie journals or when you have to write a review, do you ever like a movie so much that you're like, how am I going to talk about this? Like, yes. How am I going to get across how much I love this movie? Absolutely. Um, so I watched a movie called Our Little Sister, okay. which is by the Japanese director uh, named Koreeda. Um, what is his first name? Um, or his, uh, I shouldn't say first because they're in the other order. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bill? Is his name Bill? Hirokazu. Hirokazu oh, Koreeda. Or Koreeda Hirokazu. Um, who's done a lot of, uh, I think Still Walking is probably one of his big ones. Um, his last one, I think, was like Father Like Son. Uh, he also did I Wish, which I reviewed for the site mm-hmm. back when that came out. Um, and he did a film in 2004 where, where I first um, heard of him called Nobody Knows, which is still, I think, uh, I think if you and I redid our best films of the aughts mm-hmm. episode, I might now, six years later, I might put, Nobody knows on the on the top ten. It's a it's a great movie, uh, but this movie is called Our Little Sister, and apparently it's based on a, a graphic novel, um, uh, which is not to imply that it has any uh, that it's any sort of um, uh, superheroes. So there's like lasers like and stuff. Uh, no, do you know you're the Oscar guy? Okay. Um, do you know what was the first movie based on a comic book graphic novel to be nominated for best adapted screenplay? Best adapted screenplay? Well, it wouldn't be original. If it's oh, yeah, I guess that. that's true. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm inclined to say History of Violence. Uh, no, earlier than that. Much earlier than that? Nope, not much earlier. Oh, okay. Uh, Road to Perdition? Uh, no, I think earlier than that, but only okay. a year, go a year or two earlier. Oh, boy. You got one more guess, and then I'll tell you. <sighs> I hate guessing games. I hate them so much because I feel so stupid. <laughs> um, You've had great guesses so far. Is it along those lines? Is it, uh, oh, American Splendor? Uh, nope. Uh, you, you used up your guesses. You came okay. close to the last one. Uh, Ghost World. Ghost World. Okay. Yes, that's right. All right. Um, I read that the other day and I thought that was an interesting bit of trivia. All right. Uh, where was I? Our little sister, um, is the story of, uh, three sisters at the beginning who are all, I think, I guess they're all supposed to be in their twenties. We never learned their, um, their, their, um, uh, their ages, but we do learn their complicated family backstory, which is that they had a father who left the family for another woman. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after that, the mother just left. She couldn't handle it or whatever. She just left and left these three girls in this big house they'd grown up in that was their father's house um, to raise themselves. They were teenagers at the time. It's been 15 years there um, in their uh, early to late 20s. Um, their husband went off with this other woman, had a kid with her, a daughter with her. She died. He then gets married a third time, and the, uh, he dies. That's what starts off the movie. He dies. They haven't seen okay. him in 15 years. They decide to go to the funeral. He'd moved to another part of Japan. So they travel to the funeral um, where they meet the daughter from the second marriage, who now her mother has died and her father has died. She doesn't have any um, blood relatives left except for them because they have the same father, even right. though they've she's 14 years old at this point and they've never met. Um, and she doesn't really like her stepmother the third wife the widow and so these three girls say hey we you know we got money because we you know we work we got a huge house with the extra rooms um why don't you come live with us and so the movie ends up taking place over about the course of the next year or so like from one summer to the next uh it doesn't really have much of a plot uh it's just these uh 
four young women um, living in this house together. And it's so minutely observed, but not in a meticulous way, in like a warm and organic way. It's uh, Coriata tends to find a sort of relaxed, sort of sensual beauty in just everyday uh, this isn't the kind of movie you would go so far as to describe as a food movie, but it's the mm. kind of movie that understands the simple act of preparing and eating food yeah. uh, as being um, something you can luxuriate in and find uh, not just, you know, literally nourishing, but emotionally and spiritually nourishing. And it, there's it, the, the movie takes such joy in, in, in life. I think just the everyday, uh, everyday life you just see these people living for a year and going through some happy times and also some um, terrible things happen and they laugh and cry together and sometimes they yell at each other and it's just uh it it's 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 so beautiful this movie like mm. it doesn't even end with anything particularly that you would describe if you were writing down the events on paper you wouldn't think of it as having a particularly emotional ending but people were wiping their eyes as they came out of the theater yeah. because it's it finds so much emotion in just the the beauty of everyday life and the connection between people and uh that that's it's not huge accomplishments or making lots of money or even like world travel or anything that makes life living it's taking joy in the people around you and the things that you do with them and with yourself every day. Yeah. That's kind of what the movie's about. Um, and it's it's so, so beautiful. I love this movie wow. so much. Now, how can somebody see that film? Uh, it'll come out. Uh, I, I, this is a, a press screening. Um, it'll, okay. it'll, it'll, it'll be out in a week. Okay. Uh, at, le- at least in New York and Los Angeles and probably uh, rolling across the country awesome. um, uh, in, in the weeks to come after that. But, yeah, I think it comes out July 8th uh, in... in um, in Los Angeles and I think in, in New York. It played AFI Fest last year and I think Scott talked I think Scott saw it hmm. at AFI Fest and probably talked about it in that episode, but uh he clearly didn't sell it enough for me. I guess not. because uh, I didn't remember that he'd seen it um until we talked about it on Twitter today. Uh but um yeah, definitely definitely check it out and check out as much of Coriata's work uh, as you as you can. All right. One more movie for you? Yes, but before I get to that, actually, um, I wanted to mention something that is not a movie or a TV show that I watched, and that if you are in the Los Angeles area, I highly recommend. It is at the uh, Geffen Playhouse. It is called In and of Itself. Okay. It is a... Kevin Klein realizes he's gay? (sighs) That's not bad. Um, (laughs) The... uh, it is a sort of magic show. I guess it's that. It's just one guy. Okay. Uh, but it also, it's, it's hard to explain. It's directed by Frank Oz, strangely enough. Okay. Um, and it's uh, this guy, Derek, I forget what his last name is. Um, and so he does these little magic tricks. You don't totally realize he's doing them until they're done, which is something I find fascinating. And the whole time he's, you know, delivering monologues and giving some biographical information and bringing certain audience members onto the stage, which I usually hate, but he manages to make it uh, not merely palatable, but uh, very touching. Um, 
And uh, one of the things he's exploring is uh, sort of the nature of identity and specifically how people identify themselves. Um, it's very, very interesting. And uh, I highly recommend, if you can see it, uh, check it out if you're in Los Angeles. Uh, it's called In and of Itself, and it is at the Geffen Playhouse. I highly recommend it. And David, there is a celebrity in the audience. Oh, let's do a guessing game. No question about it. I mean, we was, don't have all day, but yes, yeah, let's do it. There was one celebrity in the audience. This is not a couple like last time. Okay. This is one person. So I will, th- so David, start guessing or start asking. Oh, okay. Yes so or no is, questions, uh, right? Yes or no questions. Yeah. Um, is this a male or female? Well, that's not yes or no, but a male. It's a male. It's male. Actor. Yeah. Okay. Um, older than me? Yes. White? Yes. Uh, actor? Yes. Is it Kevin Klein? No. That'd be pretty neat, though. Uh, is it Bradley Whitford? No. Is this what you're going to do now? <laughs> Just literally. Is it, uh, Richard Gere? Um, no. no. Okay. Movie actor? Yes. Primarily movie actor or just movie actor? Like, do I know this person from any TV shows yes. at all? But this person is known as a movie actor. Uh, hard to say. Half okay. and a half. Okay. Okay. Um, gray hair? Getting there. Gray. Not, not there yet. Graying. Um, okay. Okay. Um, Josh Brolin? No. Is that a good guess? I, I don't know. I don't think so. What TV has he been on? Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. I don't know. Um, I got to think of some more questions. Uh, is this person an Oscar winner? No. Is this person an Emmy winner that you know of? I think so. Oh, you think this person is an Emmy winner? Yeah. And then you said it's a white guy. Yeah. That should help. <laughs> <laughs> that should narrow it down. <laughs> Okay. Uh, let me, I'll actually, while you're asking questions, I'll uh, look him up and see if he did, in fact, win that Emmy. Um, is this person known more for comedy or drama? Uh, drama. Okay. Would you describe him as funny? Uh, I'm sorry, only a nominee. Did not win. Did not win. Did okay. he win? What was the other question? I'm sorry. Uh, would you describe this person as funny? Sure. Okay. Okay. Has this person been in movies recently? Is this person a recent star? Define recently. Have I seen a movie with this person in it in the last 12 months? A uh, new movie. I don't, mean, no, I don't mean have I pulled something off the shelf. Well, now I'll have to look again. Hang on a sec. Okay. Uh, uh, maybe. Okay. Let's see. Filmography. Actor. Let's take a look here. Um, oh, I got to all right. Yes, you have. Did this person star in that movie? No. Okay. Uh, define star. Lead? Yeah, was this person the lead? No. Is it Kieran Hines? No. <laughs> Is that's, that not, good, that's not bad. That's, that's not, not a not bad, bad guess? guess? Is it Killian Murphy? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not just going with the hard C yeah. <laughs> Irishman. That's not what you meant by not a bad guess. Right. Um, but you're on the right track. Is it... Oh, who's on the right track of Kieran Hines now? That's <laughs> Is it Ian McShane? No. He's too old. But I guess he's not gray. He probably dyes his hair, right? I could see that. Ian McShane. Um, but that's not a bad guess either? Not, also McShane? not a bad guess. Um, okay. 
Powers Booth has gray hair. So I'm going to say it's not Powers <laughs> that's, that's Booth. That's true. Um, wait, have I ever met this person? Not to my knowledge. Not to your knowledge. Okay. Doubtful. Uh, you would say that they are funny, but not known for comedy. Right. Split equally between TV and movies. Is this person with the, the Emmy nomination? Is that a role I know? Is it like yes. an iconic role? Well, it's a role you know, and it's a role that a lot of people would know. I'm not sure if I'd say it's iconic, but it's not far off. Like, is it a role on like a golden age of television prestige drama? Yes. And was it a regular role? Was it a guest star? or Regular. So this person was a regular on a Sopranos or since Sopranos TV drama. Correct. Oh, boy. We're getting there. <laughs> but it's also known as much for movies as for TV. I think so. Uh, is it Dennis Leary? <laughs> no, because it wasn't a lead. Right. Um, is it an HBO show? No. Is it an AMC show? Yes. Is it Dean Norris? No. It is an AMC show? Yes. There are others than that one. Okay, if it's who I say right now, this person is way more of a TV actor. Okay. Is it John Slattery? No. Okay, okay. Um, am I on the right show? Is it Mad Men? Yes. This is a Mad Men show. Is it Vincent Carthizer? No. Um, who am I missing? Is it James Wolk? Nope. Um, do I know this actor's name? Yes. Okay. Now, see, at this point, I'm close enough that someone is yelling it out, and I'm just missing something obvious. This Maybe. person was a regular? Mm-hmm. Oh, is it um, the Murray? No. It's not the Murray. Which, which Murray was Joel. on? That was Joel? No. Yeah. Man, oh, man. Oh, listeners are going crazy. They know. They know. And this is an actor whose name I know. So it's yes. not like the guy who played Ken. Right. No, because it's not him. I, I forget his name. I have also forgotten his name. I like him. He's great. But I forget his name. Was he on the whole no. seven seasons? No. Did he leave early or late? Or did he leave early or come late? Uh, Gosh, hang on. Mid for everything. That's oh, a big man. hint. Oh, man. How am I, how am I drawing a... A blank on this. Oh, um, uh, and now I forget the name of the guy who I was going to say. The one who gave everybody the B12 shots. That I don't think so. I, that might be after Why I stopped I watching. A blank on that guy's name. <sighs> All right. Can you give me a first initial? Oh, no. No? Okay. I definitely know this actor's name. Yes, no question about it. He was a regular on Mad Men. Did he work at the agency? Yes. How am I miss? Who am I missing here? Mm. I said John Slattery. Right. It's not John Hamm. No. Because, uh, uh, yeah, there's a number of reasons that things you said are not John Hamm. Right. <laughs> Maybe I'm just like, is it Rich Summer? Nope. Is it Michael Gladys? Nope. 
This is, oh, people are really losing their minds. Now. Yeah, I'm sure they are, but I can't think of who else was on the show. I guess it's just escaped me. This is a big, this is a big hint. Give me a hint. His, exit, his exit was notable. Oh, it's Jared Harris. That's correct. Oh, I now I feel bad that you forgot yeah. about him. Yeah. No, I feel bad that I completely forgot that he was on the show. Yeah. He's like a major character. Yeah. But I guess it's I named just, after him eventually. Uh, part of it is. Yeah. Price, but yeah. I, I still always thought of him as an outsider. But yeah, he was a regular on the he show. He's kind of an outsider. I think that's a big part of his character. But uh, yeah, so I saw Jared Harris. I want, if you needed a big hint, I would have said his father sang MacArthur Park. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, Jared uh, Harris. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe it took me that long. I, but I just completely was not thinking of him. You got to be. And that's the thing is when you said, you know, you were saying like British actors and I was like, okay, we're doing pretty good. If you if right. he brings that right. in, we're almost there. But uh, yeah, yeah, you didn't go talk to him though. I did not. Probably a good move. I, I chose not to. Um, um, anyway, would you have asked him about uh, Natural Born Killers? <laughs> I forgot that he was in that. He's one of the people interviewed. You know, when you see like the interviews of people saying like, "Look, I can't get behind what they're doing, but they stand for something like that sort of thing." Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's one of those. He's one of those guys. I mean, he's he was in Poltergeist. Uh, that's that's the movie that I know you saw. Um, oh, the Poltergeist, yeah, uh, the remake, remake yeah. Uh, and also he was on Fringe. Yes, um, so he was. Yeah. He was uh, Ulysses S. Grant in Lincoln. Uh, if I were to huh. talk to him about anything, I would have uh, complimented him on his understated performance as Moriarty in the Sherlock Holmes sequel. Huh. Um, but anyway, all right. So that was hopefully I'm terrible fun. at this. No, you're not. You did. Uh, no, I did. I, I, this is the second one in pretty, a row that has taken me way too long. Listeners in the comment section, say how long it took you. Like at what point you knew who it was. I'll bet they knew who it was when you said Mad Men. And then it took me like that was at the halfway point for me. <laughs> it took me another five minutes after you said Mad Men. That's true. I bet that people knew who it was then. I'm terrible at this. It's tough. You got to be in the right. Uh, you got to be headed down the right path. Yeah. You know, it happens. And I'll say you didn't mislead me at all. Everything you said is true. Because with the last one... Yeah, I know. I wasn't trying to trick you, did No, but the last one, I still have a bone to pick with one of your answers to my questions, because oh, it was a couple. okay. And I asked who was more famous, and you said he was. And I think, maybe overall, but in 2016, Annette Benning is more famous than Warren Bates. Oh, that for... Oh, that one. Oh, um... Yeah, it's hard that to still say. Throws me off. I still, but I still think I've been in, I in think 2016 it, is more famous than Warren Beatty. I think, uh, I think he's big enough in the in the mind of the world and people think, of various of various ages. You I know, I think you and I are outsiders. I think most people have a much shorter memory. This goes to this goes to my my. This is my go to, which is if I ask my mom who's Warren Beatty. And if I asked who's Annette Benning, now my mom's old enough to know who Annette Benning is, but she might not know her name immediately. And she might not be able to place her. She'd probably say American president, um, okay. but she might not be able to place her immediately. She would know Warren Beatty. I think people, I think anybody over 50 knows who Warren Beatty is. I think most people over 40 and I'd say a lot of people over 30, whereas Annette Benning, I can't speak to all of that. All right. So, um, okay. You still have a movie to talk about, I right? do. I'm okay. sorry. That's, uh... No, that's fun. That's fun. So, I should... Okay. 
I should try to remember which celebrities I see. Yeah. So I can, so yeah. I can do so this. You can turn the tables well. on me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my last film, um, is a, a rewatch. I've seen it many times before this, but never on the big screen. Uh, I went as a, I surprised Jen with this, which is we went last night to see Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory. Oh, cool. Uh, at the century eight, which Jen had not been there since the renovation. Why were so, they showing it? Uh, it's part of Fathom, uh, what oh, is cool. it, the, their film series, yeah. and I've tried to, I've tried to uh, go to more of them, just because I'm tired. There are movies that I've never seen on the big screen, and I and I want to alleviate that. Right. And even though like you're not a purist like me, it doesn't bother you. These aren't uh, film projections. No, it doesn't. Um, yeah. As long as it's. Uh, I'll say this, that in class yesterday, uh, the TV that we, that we show that the instructors showed some clips on was not set to the, the right thing. So we were watching a clip from psycho and it just looked, it's one of that, one of those resolutions where everything Uh is so sharp. It looks like you're watching a sports game, but everything looks Uh, so cheap and shitty and uh, digi. So it doesn't look like that. Uh, as long as it still looks like it's a movie, uh, I'm fine with it. Um, yeah, so Willy Wonka is a great movie. I enjoy it tremendously. Um, I think, I think in watching it again, and this isn't necessarily a function of the big screen. This is more just—I don't think I realized just how solid that score is and how solid those songs oh, yeah, are. That's a good point. Those are very memorable songs. Yeah. Um, you know, song for song, that movie lines up with the best Disney movies. You know, you've got the Candyman, you've got, uh, which I forget, did that song come first before Sammy Davis Jr. sang it? I have it? no idea. I don't remember. Uh, but, you know, uh, World of Pure Imagination and the various Oompa Loompa songs, um, and I've Got a Golden Ticket. There's a lot of really, uh, I Want It Now, Veruca Salt's song. Uh, a lot of really good, notable songs. And, uh, I will say this is maybe something that I did notice as a function of the big screen is you just, you know, you're paying a lot closer attention to what's happening, uh, on the screen or rather maybe just notice certain performances more. I don't think I ever realized just how likable Charlie is. He is a really, you just, and just naturally. So he's not trying really hard. He just is a good kid and you're just on his side from the word go. And then lastly, uh, Gene Wilder is a fucking genius in that movie. Yeah, that's what I think. I mean, when you said it was a great movie, a part of me was hesitant to agree with you because I think of it as a great performance um, with a movie that has flashes of brilliance built around it. Sure. Um, but I also haven't seen it in a long, long time. I think I think all the performances are great. All the kids are great. Um, the the parents are fun. Uh, Grandpa Joe is is great. Uh, it really you is. Know, there's just- a there, there's an increasingly vocal contingent that's anti Grandpa Joe, not in the movie particularly, but just as a character, because he spends decades letting other yeah. people do the work for him, and the yeah. second he gets a chance to get up and go to a chocolate factory, yeah. he's like, "Whoop, hopping up, hopping about." <laughs> so it's kind of like he, uh, oh, that guy. maybe he uh, was dealing with uh, crippling depression, yeah, and then he was given emotional hope. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, Gene Wilder really is doing some amazing things in that film and just the stuff they give him to say uh specifically when he is talking to the kids when i was when i was a kid i don't think because i'd seen this movie i've seen this movie dozens of times at this point Mm. um when i was a kid i don't think i realized just 
how contemptuous he is of these children. Yeah. Just every, the minute he looks at them, anything he says to them, you know, just saying like Mike TV is saying something and Mike TV is not the most annoying character there, but he's annoying enough. (laughs) And just, and I think he's the one that, uh, that Willy Wonka just says, he goes, you know, you should open your mouth a little wider when you talk and just, just little, little comments like that, that are just marvelous. Uh, I, I, I love it so much. And I'll say this, it got me thinking of, um, I've, I've talked about this before the, uh, the tournament of nerds, uh, oh, yeah. where different, uh, nerd comedians, uh, have to defend their characters versus other characters. And, uh, this guy, Johnny something, I don't remember. I saw him at comic-con years ago. Uh, so he it's there's on YouTube, there's a, a tournament of nerds fight between Willy Wonka and the Goonies. And so one of the Goonies comes out and he's dressed like, uh, Oh my gosh, I forget his name. The, uh, the inventor kid, um, data? short, short round in, in, uh, is it, isn't it data? It, it might be data. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so he comes out and says some stuff and then Johnny comes out, dresses Willy Wonka. He goes, Hmm, let's see. He goes, he goes, who is, who usually wins the battle between Willy Wonka versus children? Hmm. <laughs> I think I'm winning that pretty handily. And, uh, and then occasionally he will just reach into his pocket and pull out all these Jolly Ranchers and just throw them to the audience and go candy. <laughs> uh, it is absolutely delightful. Um, okay. So yeah, Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory. I love it so much. I think I'm probably going to maybe while I'm working, rewatch Charlie and the chocolate factory, which is on Netflix. Um, which I've seen, I saw years ago and thought it's an absolute mess with a, a complete whiff of a performance by Johnny Depp. Um, but, uh, so I might, I might rewatch that and I'll, I'll, I'll check back in with you guys, uh, next week. Um, yeah, I saw that in the theater and I haven't seen it since, uh, in Evanston is where I saw it. Evanston. I like that theater. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, that we're done with movies. Yes. On a TV, I just really want to quick, uh, really quick, want to mention. I watched the first episode of The Tunnel mm. on uh, on on PBS um, here. It's a BBC show, much like Sherlock. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the third version of the bridge. Right. The first one was Danish Swedish. The second one was uh, America Mexico. Yeah. This is um, England and France, and uh, is notable because uh, it's the kind of TV show that will probably be more difficult to make, uh, uh post Brexit. Sure. You know, um, uh, but it is, uh, yeah, I guess it's a cooperation co-production. Um, and it was fine. I probably won't stick with it, but, uh, just kind of wanted to mention it cause it's, um, Stephen Delane, uh, plays the, yeah. uh, UK, uh, investigator and Clements Posey. Um, who's, what would you say she's best known for? Uh, is she in Harry Potter? Yeah, she's um, yeah, Fleur. Is yeah. that her name? Fleur de la Cour. Yeah, in Harry Potter. Yeah, that's probably what she's best known for. But she's also, um, I also remember her as uh, James Franco's girlfriend in flashbacks in 127 Hours. In, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and she was also on Gossip Girl, which is yeah. Uh, not everybody remembers that. <laughs> she's like four episodes, but uh. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's. I probably won't won't keep watching it, but um, it's a it's a good um good cast and most interestingly to me, 
because I kind of geek out about stuff that shoots on location. Like, where they found the body, they didn't, like, build the set. They really went down into the maintenance tunnels of the actual channel oh, between wow. uh, England and, and, and France and shot there. It was really, cool. I don't know how else I'd know, like, what the inside of that looked like, but they actually shot there. That's cool. All right, what did you watch on TV? Well, first off, didn't you also watch Big Brother? Yeah, I'm not talking about that. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I've been watching more Lie to Me um, while, okay. while I am working. And I will say, and I'm into the sec- second season now. Second season, much, much better than the first, okay. as tends to happen. Um, they're doing a lot less of the obvious uh, facial tics and stuff that okay. you saw in the first uh, season. They're letting the actors tell us what's going on uh, in their reaction to somebody else's reaction. Uh, they're really developing Tim Roth's character and giving him really, really good stuff to do. Uh, they're, you know, playing with. You know, the film's not meant to be realistic, so they're playing with certain aspects of the formula, like, you know, um, what happens when he comes up against an actual sociopath. Sociopaths do not have the same reactions the rest of us do. Mm -hmm. And so he just can't get a read on this person, and it like you just see this character get really, really uh, thrown off. And then there is an episode that takes place in Las Vegas, and... Uh, a fun bit of history is that this character is not allowed in Las Vegas anymore um, because he would just go to poker tables and just win everything because mm-hmm. um, he could just read people's tells. Uh, and among the people that uh, he's he's there for a uh, he's not playing in the poker game, but there's a big poker game happening. And one of the players is played by Ricky Jay. And it's oh. always nice to see him. Yeah. So the show has gotten much, much better. I find myself genuinely invested in episodes. And, uh, you know, it's not like it's an amazing show or anything, but it definitely does pass the time. Okay. And then finally, you and I are going to talk a little bit about the Silicon Valley finale. Yes. Um, which I loved uh, because it was very funny. Yes, it was very funny. I'm not sure if I'd say I loved it from a story standpoint, but it is very funny. And uh, there are some nice character moments. Top three Jared moments. I counted this down on Twitter. Follow okay. me on Twitter. Number three, him falling back and hitting his head on the, on the bed frame. Yeah. Um, number two, uh, near the end when he says, how does this compare to a regular board, <laughs> to the regular board meetings? Do you remember that? I, it's when there's a lot of chaos with like Lori. Oh, like, yes, that's right. <laughs> removing people and bringing in that's new right. people. Uh, so in the, how did he give her? And then the number one is when Ehrlich says, Jared, have you been crying? And he says, yes, but for ordinary reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, and Lori, when she finally, cause she's so robotic, it's something that's actually kind of bothered me at times is that that performance is so robotic. Um, and then in the meeting when she finally just breaks it, and I think she just goes, she goes, oh, for fuck's sake, am I going to have to get the secretary in here? <laughs> and it's, I love that. Uh-huh. Um, everything with Gavin and the elephant is really funny. Yeah. Um, but uh, that, uh, man, that Matt Ross. Yeah, good he's for pretty him. solid. Because yeah. I've always liked him. Uh, and he's been, he's shown a lot of range because I first knew him as Lewis Crothers yeah. from the American Psycho uh, movie. Um, more on that in the main episode. And uh, and then he was on uh, Big Love, where he was a very different character. Mm. And now he's on this, where he's another very different character. Yeah, it's it's uh, enjoyable to to see him, and it's nice to see Steven. And it appears that he's his character is going to keep coming back, uh, 
or at least not regularly. Tobo, Steve Tobo, Tobo, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did I did I not say his full name? Yeah, you just said. Oh shit! Sorry, I wasn't meaning to do that. Mm -hmm. It's just we're we're such good friends. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I can't help it. Um, Yeah, I did enjoy. I story wise, there is kind of it's sort of a reset. Um, which isn't the end of the world. It's I'm okay with that. Not the first time they've done that. Like the way that the season ends mm-hmm. is kind of exactly the way every season has ended. Like in terms of the actual scene of them sitting around that table in a more or less good mood is kind of how every season ends. I think it has more to do with um, that they're moving away from the platform, that they're doing they're now moving towards this uh, video chat thing. And I but, think that that kind of, and I recognize that such a thing is possible, maybe even frequent. Um, but let but me it, say this. How often has not just a season, but an, an episode of Silicon Valley ended with the assumption that we're moving in a certain direction and that gets completely blown up five minutes into the next episode. Sure. That's something they've done a lot. You oh, know? it's, that's one of that, my... that whole episode this, this, this year with the skunk works thing. And then just saw it completely fall apart in the last two seconds and, of the episode. And Steven Tobolowsky has a wonderful, wonderful bit where he says, he says, I don't know what bothers me more. The fact that you guys were working against the company that you guys had a plan to work against the company or the fact that it was over in 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a really great show. And I think, and, um, TJ Miller, it might be kind of the MVP of this particular episode. He's got some really good stuff to do both comedically and emotionally. And what's more is it's such a wonderful, comedic beat when in the midst of a dramatic scene where he is telling Richard off and he's really there's uh-huh. there, he's not overplaying it like it is a, yeah, real, that was a really good scene it's yeah. a really and he's saying you're gonna have to work really hard to get my trust back he goes it is not gonna be and it just and then it cuts it off and they're already partying like <laughs> yeah. probably an hour later yeah uh yeah it's it is a I love this show it is so wonderful um all right we can move on uh, or we can end but I want to show you a picture okay I uh, was on the, just yesterday, on the Sony Picture Studios lot. Okay. Uh, parked my car, uh, looked at the car next to me, and I thought, I got to take a picture of that. Look what I was parked next to. Oh! <laughs> I was parked next to, apparently they store, when they're not shooting Silicon Valley, they store Ehrlich Bachman's Aviato Raft uh, SUV in just the regular employee not an, i'm not an employee of sony but uh the guest slash employee parking garage at sony. Awesome. i was just parked right next to it and i didn't realize until i was next to it because from the front it just kind of looks like a yellow yeah uh yellow truck and then I, I it wasn't until i was next to it and getting out of my car that i saw that it said aviato aviato for, all over it. for a moment there you almost feel like Look, I know Silicon Valley's fake, <laughs> right? But I feel like Ehrlich Bachman's about to step out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, this is clearly. I know the season may have just wrapped or ended its run on TV, but they clearly wrapped production a long time ago. Yeah. And this truck had clearly been sitting there for a while. Yeah, it was filthy. It was covered in <laughs> dust. They're gonna have to give it a good once over before the next season, uh, or maybe he won't have that uh, car anymore. Mm. <laughs> All right, uh, that's it.